Hello. Good evening. It's great to be here with you this evening. My name is Jen. I'm part of the team here. If you didn't get teaching notes as you came in, then if you want to put your hands up, one of the Connect team will bring those to you so you can follow with us as we go through. Well, as Steve said, today we are starting a brand new series called Dave, an Everyday Hero. And we're going to be looking at one of the most well-known characters in the Bible, the character of David. David's life is covered in four books in the Old Testament. And David actually wrote much, you know, many um, inserts himself. You know, he's thought to have written at least two-thirds of the book of Psalms. When we first meet David, he's actually a humble shepherd boy but he soon becomes Israel's greatest king. You see, King David was able to unify the tribes of Israel and establish prosperity and peace. David was also the ancestor of Jesus, and Jesus was often referred to as the son of David. And there are more than 50 references to David in the New Testament. David is also listed in the great hall of faith that we read in the book of Hebrews, alongside Joshua and Moses and Abraham and so many other great men and women of God. David was a remarkable man. But he wasn't a perfect man. He was a human being like you and me with strengths and also weaknesses. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be exploring different parts of David's life. We're going to be looking at how David related to his family. We're going to be looking at some of David's key friendships. We're going to be looking at a time when David was on the run, fleeing for his life from King Saul. We're going to be looking at David and the book of Psalms. And really through this, what we're wanting to do is just zoom in on the character of David throughout all these different events in his life to see what can we learn as we walk out our own journey of faith. And today, I actually want to explore the character of David under the title of David, a man after God's heart. And you'll see this aspect of David's character running through all of the different uh, chapters that we look at over the next few weeks. Because you see, David's heart not only affected who he was, it affected how he lived. David is actually the only man in the Bible to be called a man after God's own heart. And it was God himself who said that of David. And if you want to know why, look no further than the book of Psalms. Every heartfelt entry is a snapshot into the life of a man who was totally devoted to God. David didn't just know God. He didn't just know about God. David has a living, breathing, authentic relationship with God. And as you read the life of David through the different books of the Bible, you see that actually God is the common thread, if you like, running through every scene, every page, every chapter of David's life until you get to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And suddenly, the God that David was so devoted to has suddenly disappeared from view. 
And we see that David's heart is now being pulled in a very different direction. And he becomes obsessed with a married woman named Bathsheba. Her husband Uriah was one of David's mighty men. He was on the battlefield at the time when all of this happened. And in fact, David as the king should also have been there. You see, as the king, David's role should have been to lead the, tr- lead the troops into battle, to encourage the troops in that battle. But for some reason, David stayed back in the palace. And I think that's a lesson to us all, that actually it's often in those moments when we take our foot off the gas and we, we relax and we're comfortable and contented, that actually we can lean into complacency and actually find ourselves in a place of great vulnerability and susceptibility to failure. David stays at home, and that's when he spots Bathsheba bathing as he walks on the roof of his palace one night. And although David had several wives of his own, he just cannot rest until Bathsheba is brought to him and he sleeps with her. But David's illicit one-night stand soon catches up with him when he discovers that Bathsheba is now pregnant. And suddenly David is no longer consumed with Bathsheba, now he's consumed with protecting his own reputation. You see, in those days, adultery carried the death penalty. And so David is now obsessed with hatching a plan to preserve his own life and protect his position and his reputation. So he calls Uriah back from the battlefield, thinking that Uriah will go home and sleep with Bathsheba and no one will know. Everyone will assume that the baby is his. But Uriah, oh my goodness, Uriah. You see, Uriah was such a man of integrity the kind of integrity that David had become so renowned for. That even when David gets him drunk, Uriah refuses to go home and sleep with his wife because he feels that would be dishonorable to his fellow men who were risking their lives on the battlefield. And so David deals the final blow. He sends Uriah back to war carrying his own death sentence in his hand. And a sealed envelope to give to Joab, the commander of the army, to put Uriah on the front line and then withdraw. And we hear that David is struck down and killed. Bathsheba mourns for her husband. But soon afterwards, David brings her back to the palace. He marries her and the baby is born. And it would seem to all intents and purposes that David's plan has worked. It seems as though David's got away with it. No one will ever know. But God, uninvited, yet ever-present, has the last word in this chapter. As the writer tells us that the thing that David did displeased the Lord. 
As I came to prepare this message, there was so much material from the life of David that I could draw on. So much that would give us a picture of this man who has an amazing heart after God. But I kept coming back to this story. You see, it would be so easy to look at all those amazing things that David did, but then get to this chapter and just write David off altogether. But the Bible doesn't write people off. You see, the Bible recognizes that the human heart has a tremendous capacity for self-centeredness. And you know that it doesn't matter how long we've been on the journey of faith, it doesn't matter how long we've been a Christian, that actually even a man or woman after God's heart can find themselves failing in the most incredible ways. But I believe that it's in our darkest moments Confronted with failures we never imagined we were capable of. That our true heart is revealed. And our real self is exposed. And so today as we consider the life of David, I want to zoom in on David's response to his greatest failure. Because I believe his response to his greatest failures reveals some of the principles as to why David was still referred to and respected as a man after God's heart, even after this devastating and destructive chapter in his life. And so I want to pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 12, when God, having witnessed firsthand David's adultery and murder, sends the prophet Nathan to confront David. And you know, prophets in the Bible, they weren't kind of uh, soft and fluffy kind of characters. You know, they were straight talking. And so when I think about the prophet Nathan, I kind of imagine this big, burly kind of northern guy who kind of shoots from the hip. And, but actually, in this circumstance, Nathan doesn't take the direct approach. He actually tells David a story. David is totally unaware that this is a story. He thinks it's a real scenario. You see, this is the kind of story that was common in the courts. And David, as the king, was used to giving his verdict on the most serious cases. And so David's leaning in and he's listening to the story intently, ready to give his judgment, ready to give his verdict. But Nathan begins. He says, listen to this, David. There were two men, one rich, one poor. Rich man, he had loads of sheep and cattle. But poor man, he had an out. Except this one little ewe lamb that he'd bought. He loved that lamb like it were his own daughter. He used to let it eat from his plate, drink from his cup, even had it sleep in his arms. But one day, there's a visitor comes to see a rich man, and he wants to cook him up a right big feast. But you know what he does, David? Instead of taking one of his own sheep for the feast, he goes and he takes that one little ewe lamb from poor man, And he serves it up to his guest. 
while David leaps off the throne. He says, who is that man? How could anyone be so heartless? How could anyone be so cruel? That man deserves to die. I don't know about you, but I love psychology. I'm fascinated by human behavior, and I love to, to understand why people react in the way that we do. I have to say, sometimes, much to the dismay of my husband, who sometimes pleads with me, Jen, can we please just swim on the surface today? But right here is one of those moments when we have a window into the human heart, and we see just how differently we act when we're looking at someone else's sin compared to our own sin. You see, David completely overreacts. He's so indignant that the rich man should die. But don't you find that puzzling? I mean, yes, he'd been cruel. Yes, he'd been heartless. But he hadn't committed murder. He didn't deserve the death penalty. You see, what's going on here is this story actually brings to the surface David's own inner turmoil about his guilt and what he's done. You see, David was used to keeping short accounts with God. He was used to confessing his sin straight away to God and, and getting right with God. But he's kept this adultery and murder hidden. He's tried to hide it and now it's eating away inside of him and there's this battle going on inside of him against, with good and evil. And despite his best efforts to contain it and keep it concealed, it's bubbling up to the surface and it's now impacting his judgment and his actions. Because you see, you can't just commit adultery and murder and just carry on as though nothing has happened. It has to come out somehow. And so here, David unwittingly, unknowingly, tries to rid himself of this incredible burden of guilt by now projecting it onto someone else. In this case, the rich man. It's amazing how easily we let ourselves off the hook, and yet we are so quick to give the judgment on others. But what this does reveal is that David's conscience was still very much alive. But now comes the real moment of truth. As Nathan responds to David's outrage, and he declares to David, David, don't you see it? Don't you see it, David? Don't you realize, David, you are that man? You are that rich man, David. Don't you realize? And Nathan continues, he says, David, God says to you, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, David, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise God's word by doing what is evil in his sight. Nathan goes on to confront David 
about his adultery and murder. And then he tells David that there's going to be some very serious consequences to what he's done. David is totally broken. He just can't hold in his guilt any longer and he just cries out, I have sinned. I have sinned against the Lord. You see, the man who tried so hard to cover up his tracks now holds his hands up and openly confesses that he is guilty, that he is without excuse, and that he is the one that deserves the death penalty. And here, I believe, we see the first indicator, the first evidence that David is a man after God's heart. Because you see, David responds to God's grace. Why do you think God sent Nathan to challenge David? To confront him, yes. To deal with his wrongdoing, yes. But ultimately, the real reason why God went to David was actually to bring him back into right relationship with him. You see, David had lost his way. David had got trapped in his own guilt and his shame, and yet God, in his grace, goes looking for David. You see, grace is the hand that reaches out to us and pulls us out of the mess that we ourselves have created. God pursues David. He takes the initiative. And you know, God is always pursuing us. That's how our relationship with God gets started in the first place. God comes looking for us. He pursues us. He initiates the relationship, and we respond. We say yes. I want to I say yes to you, God. I want to become a Christian. I want to be a follower of Jesus. But you know, God never stops pursuing us even after we've said yes. And throughout the journey of faith, there's this constant interaction between us and God where God is always the initiator and we are always the responder. You see, nothing originates in us. Even the love that we have for God is a gift from him. You see, we first receive God's love into our hearts and that enables us to love God back. And it also enables us to love other people because we first received from God. So can you see why it's so important that we get into the presence of God day by day so that we can have a fresh infilling of that, that love of God, of the power of God in our lives? so that we're able to be a man and a woman after God's heart. Because you see, if we don't, we lose our hunger for God. We lose our devotion for God. And like David, we begin to look for other things to satisfy that longing in our heart. But I believe a a man, a woman after God's heart is someone who responds to the grace of God. Whatever it costs, whatever it takes, whatever it means, because responding to him, to our beautiful saviour, is more important than anything or anyone else. David responded to the grace of God. 
And no sooner were the words out of his mouth. And Nathan says to David, God has forgiven your sin. You are not going to die. I can only imagine how David must have felt in that moment. The relief that he must have felt. And he expresses some of that in Psalm 32. He says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. And I groaned all day long. My strength evaporated like water. Finally, I confess my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. Maybe you're here today, and you, like David, you feel trapped in guilt and shame. Maybe you've failed. Maybe recently, maybe many years ago, but you've never been able to, to break free of that burden. I believe God wants to remind you today that he is the same. He is the same God that reached out to David. And his hand of grace reaches out to you today with that same grace and that same forgiveness. And you can walk out of here free. But just because God forgave David didn't mean that he just wiped away all of the consequences you see, adultery and murder wreck lives. And David's wrongdoing, although it was now forgiven, had left a trail of total devastation. And you can see that playing out in the, in the remainder of, of 2 Samuel as, as David's own children follow in his footsteps. And because of this, Nathan has one final message for David, one final devastating consequence. And he says to David, David, God says that he's taken away your sin and you're not going to die. But because through your actions you have shown utter contempt for God, the child born to you and Bathsheba will die. This is the one and only place in the Bible where the sickness of a child is related to the misdoings of a parent. I can only imagine the despair that David must have felt in that moment. But even here, we see another indicator of David's heart after God. Because instead of getting angry, instead of wallowing in self-pity, David remembers God's goodness. You see, David had experienced God's forgiveness, and so now he's got the boldness to go into the presence of God and plead for the life of that child. David knew that the child would die. He knew that, that through this tragedy, God's justice would be made plain not only to the nation of Israel, but to all of the surrounding nations. And they would see that even the king is not above the law. Even the king is not able to get away with adultery and murder. 
But nevertheless, David still gets down on his knees. He refuses to eat, he fasts and prays for the child. And you know, I really believe this, this reveals something of the, the depth of relationship that David had with God. You see, David had a real insight into the heart of God and into God's character. David knew that God relates to his children as individuals. All through his life, God had no, David had seen that God always heard his prayer. God cared about him. God listened to his voice. God was attentive to his voice. He knew that, that God responds to faith. And so as David hears God's voice through Nathan, he doesn't receive it fatalistically, as though it's a done deal. Actually, when David hears those words from God, he hears it like a child would hear a parent telling them off and telling them about the consequences, but then might later change their mind if the child behaves better. David accepted God's words, but he still tried anyway to change God's mind because he remembered God's goodness. You see, a man or woman after God's heart believes that God is good. Whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation, because he is a good, good father. And we are loved by him. I want to ask you today, where in your life have you stopped asking God for things? Where in your life have you stopped asking big things of God because you feel on the back foot, because you feel inferior because of your own failures or your own sense of weakness? I believe that God wants to remind you today that God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask, hope, or imagine. Let's not limit God by our own insecurities because we have a good, good father. But if you know the story, you'll, you'll know that David doesn't get the answer in this case from God that he has longed for. And the child does, in fact, die. And David's servants are really afraid to tell him the news because having seen how he responded when the child was sick, they, they're really worried that David is going to do something desperate. But when David hears the news, he surprises everyone because he gets up from praying. He goes and washes and bathes and puts on clean clothes and asks his servants to prepare him a meal. And the servants are perplexed. They're like, David, we don't understand. Like, why are you behaving in this way? When the child was sick, you were fasting and on the floor night and day praying. And David said, yes, while the child was sick, I wept and I fasted and I prayed because I thought maybe the Lord will be gracious to me. But now that he is gone, why should I fast? I can't bring him back. I can go to him, but he cannot return to me. You see, even in that most painful moment, David remembers God, God's goodness. He knows that his child will be safe in the arms of God. And that one day when he meets God face to face, he will be reunited with his son. 
David is a man after God's heart. He responds to God's grace. He remembers God's goodness. And finally, David returns to God's presence. You see, there's one more thing that David did when he hears that his son has died. He gets up, he gets washed, he gets dressed. He asks his servants to prepare a meal for him, but before he goes and eats, he goes back into the presence of God and he worships. You see, worship is the gateway to God's heart and it's the key to a blessed life. And worship is is when we come to God simply to seek him for who he is, not what we can get from him, but we just come into his presence and we remind him again, God, we're here because we love you, because we adore you, because we need you, because we want to know you. David goes back into the presence of God and he worships. And in the final moments of of tonight, I just want to share something of my own story in relation to this event in David's life. I'm going to ask the worship team if they'll come back up. You see, this passage has a special significance for me because I can remember a time in my life a few years ago when I felt God speaking to me from this passage. And I remember I hadn't been married very long, but one night I said to my husband, John, I said, you know what, I feel really troubled. Because I I feel God is speaking to me from this passage, the bit where Nathan says, reminds David of how much God has blessed him. And then God says, and if all that had been too little, David, I would have given you even more. And I felt really troubled. And so I shared it with, with John. And I said, I don't really understand it. I haven't committed adultery. But I was just sensing that God is challenging me. And, and we shared and prayed. And he said to me, you know, Jen, you have been feeling frustrated recently. You have been feeling just dissatisfied with your life. And as though everybody else has, you know, great things going on, but somehow you've been forgotten and somehow you've been left behind and somehow you feel overlooked. And that was true. And in that moment, we just, we prayed together and went to bed and the next day we'd get to church and walk into church and we're doing a series on the Ten Commandments. And that week, the guy's preaching on adultery. And he shared how actually adultery, at the root of adultery, is when we lose our taste for God. And we exchange our first love for something second rate. And you know, that was such a painful time for me in my life. You see, God had, you know, God had done so much for me. He'd been so good to me. He'd brought me through the pain and devastation of, of, of separation and divorce. I mean, he literally carried me through that time. He drew so near. 
And then he encouraged me and provided for me to go out to Australia and go to Bible college. And that was an amazing, intense time of just being in the presence of God and drawing near and being restored and feeling God calling me into ministry. And, and then I get offered a job here on staff. And, you know, I was living the dream. God had answered all my prayers, and yet here I was. I was dissatisfied. And you know, I was so grateful to God in that moment that he spoke to me. And he showed me, you know what, Jen, you've stopped seeking me for who I am. And you're seeking me for what you need from me. You see, it wasn't that I'd forgotten God. I still love God. But I was asking, oh God, can you help me with this preach? Can you help me prepare this? You know, can you help me prepare that? But the times when I just spent in his presence just loving him for who he was were becoming fewer and fewer. And you see, what I realized, what I learned in that time, although it was a very painful time, was that hunger for God is a gift. It's a gift from God. You see, we can't produce that in and of ourselves. You know, Jesus talked about how, you know, streams of living water will flow out of us, but if we don't connect with that stream day by day, we dry up. And we've got nothing left to give. And I had to, like David, I had to respond to God's grace. Feeling such a sense of failure and that I'd let God down after he'd been so good to me. But I had to respond to his grace. Remember his goodness. And get back into his presence. And worship him. And I just... I want to just take a few moments. I just, I just want to sing a song to you. I want to invite you to just close your eyes and allow God to minister to you, allow God to speak to you. I want to sing a song that, that actually is a psalm that David wrote in response to God after this tragic event in his life. And it's his response back to God of recommitting his life and his heart to God. <clears throat> Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create
and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. I don't know where your heart is at tonight with God. But we have a moment now to respond and to reach out to God's grace, to remember God's goodness, and to return to his presence. And so I want to invite, we're going to stand in the presence of God and we're going to worship him. I just want to invite you to make your own response God. And if you need to, to, to take this moment to really reset your heart and say, God, I want to be a man, I want to be a woman with a heart after you. Let's stand in his